This week on Table Talk Radio, we answer questions about Eastern Orthodoxy, Jubilee Theonomy. That's my Jubilee. That's my favorite. And we listen to this Khan Academy video on what the Reformation is. Uh, are they right? You have to listen. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The reason is because you don't have the sacraments. See, yeah. I mean, once you don't have the sacraments, then basically everybody's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor is, a guy that's there to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. Once the sacraments cease to mean anything in your theological construct, then ministry becomes something different than the giving out of God's gift of forgiveness. The reason why we go to church is not to hear about how we have to go out and, and be missionalists. The reason we go to church is to get the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus instituted the church. And I think that's the point. See, when a pastor considers this option of, hmm, maybe I'll substitute these parts of the liturgy, maybe. The, maybe. the question before him should not be, will it win more people over? The question before them should be, would this deliver Christ in a better way than it already does? And the parts of the liturgy are direct quotes from Holy Scripture. And I don't think that you can improve upon the delivery of Christ uh, from them. I mean, just imagine the next radical, which will be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more uh, radical. What part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? <laughs> if you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of Jesus. <laughs> Like an overused pun, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Pastor Wolf, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. I can't wait to get to my buzzword. Oh, well, boy, do you want to tell us a little bit about the lineup for today first? First, we're going to do buzzwords, and then, I don't know, it's all downhill from there, because <laughs> this buzzword is so good. All right, well, let's see. Before you give us your super awesome buzzword, we have a couple emails about the Praise Song Cruncher, and then we're going to be... Um, uh, answering some emails about uh, orthodoxy, uh, Eastern yeah. orthodoxy, yeah, and then listening in on a video about uh, the teaching, or I get out of the teaching of Luther, but uh, the, what the what the Reformation was all about, and we're going to apply a little bit of uh, analysis to that video. What what the uh, what the secular art schools are saying about the Reformation? That's always going to be good. YouTube video about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation Cruncher. That's the <laughs> name of that song. That ought to be good. All right. Name. So without further ado, we'll go to the buzzwords and uh, Pastor Wolf there. My buzzword is brought to you today by my new favorite guy to read, Douglas Wilson. You know Douglas Wilson? He's the guy over I know at Blog and May Blog and May Blog. What a great name. Uh, he's kind of funny. Some reformed guy. He's reformed. Alas, they're all reformed or Catholic. Anyway, uh, he, 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 you know, this, um, you know, this idea of that we get in the news where you get people who cherry pick a really nice Old Testament verse and say that we ought to use that to craft foreign policy or whatever, you know, like uh, be kind to the stranger in your midst. That's the verse from Leviticus that's used to support the idea that Trump's ban on refugees was a pagan, godless thing to do. Right. He calls that jubilee the, the, uh, theonomy. Jubilee theonomy. What a great name. So theonomy means is the idea that the world should be governed by God's law given to Moses, which we reject understanding that there was three parts of the of the law code, the civil law, the moral law, and the ceremonial law, that the moral law is applicable to all people, but not brought to us by the state, it's natural law, but the um but that the civil code and the and the ceremonial law, the civil code was for Israel and the ceremonial law uh was to point to Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So we are not theonomists, but he calls this idea that we cherry pick these nice Old Testament verses and use them to, to govern our statecraft. That he calls a jubilee theonomy. So that, ah, that's, that's your great. buzz phrase is jubilee theonomy. Yeah. Okay. Can you think of a better buzz phrase? Uh, the best. You know, I, I think I just used that phrase the other day, so no problem. I'll just work that in as it's really. Na I was gonna, probably going to say that anyway, whether that was your buzzword or not. So I'm not worried. Uh, my theological buzzword for you is super irrigation, and this is in Roman Catholic theology. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, 
works performed that are beyond what God requires. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, here's the bar of what God expects of me. And my works, they're way above that. That's super irrigation. Now, the, the idea behind the super irrigation is that the, you have the treasury of merit. So you have all the, the saints who are doing all these great things. And uh, because they exceed the expectations of what God has for us, they're stored up to be drawn upon, especially in the selling of indulgences. So that's the idea of super irrigation. Got it. All right, let's take a look at some of the emails. You know, we've been doing some praise song crunching lately, and so the emails have been pouring in over the last few years. (laughs) (laughs) Every once in a while, it's like, oh, we got an email address? What's that doing over here? Yeah. Well, uh, this anonymous emailer, you know what Chris Rosebrecht does? No. Uh, Oh, wait, it's it's when you don't give the the place you're from. Uh, He he makes up where you're from if you don't say where you're from. Uh, This person didn't even give their name. So you get to make up a name and where they're from. Uh, Oh, we should do the random name thing. That's how we got the lumpy (laughs) chunk of ones. Don't worry. I'll look up a name. You work on that. I'll read the email from this mysterious emailer. I recently stumbled across your podcast and finding the Praise Song Cruncher feature especially helpful. It clears up why sentence fragments in songs bug me so much. I tend to think through song lyrics and have a hard time singing dopey stuff. I miss hymns with full declarative statements. I think back to being at house parties in the late 80s, early 90s. I was always in a group that ended up in the kitchen. Uh, You know, the refrigerator poetry magnets. My friends and I would drink beer and create artistic poetry. It was hilarious. I imagine songwriters of contemporary Christian music standing around refrigerators covered with magnet words, some from the Bible, and just putting others together by piecing together random words and phrases. They're probably not drinking beer. Maybe it would be better if they were. <laughs> so you've you, you seen those, those magnets that have like words and you can put them up mm-hmm. on the thing? Yep, um, yep. So that, that's maybe how the some of the praise songs came to be. I think that's probably true. Hey, you got a word that rhymes with holy? Uh, Moly. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holy, holy. Oh, mole. This email, by the way, was sent from Vladimir Levak, Thank according to the, to the Croatian name generator. <laughs> Man, uh, the Internet's got everything on here. You'll be sorry if you don't know Vladimir Levak <laughs> from Croatia. All right, then one more email about the uh, the praise song. Oh, man, Samuel included his name, so we can't create one for him. But Samuel probably has a nickname. What's Samuel's nickname there, Pastor Wolfmiller? Eduardo Medic. <laughs> he says, hello, Table Talk Radio. I think that You Are Mine, which must have been a song that we crunched, uh, is a ninja love song. He says, I will come to you in the silence. Ninjas are silent. Be still and know that I am near. Being still is a good way to hear better and listen for ninjas. So those are two examples. I'm sure you guys can find more. I don't know. That might be a Ninja Praise song. <laughs> the, 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 uh, uh, that's pretty good. I, that's like That reminds me of the old Ask a Ninja. Remember that hilarious guy? <laughs> How do you know you've been killed by a ninja? You're dead. <laughs> How does a ninja get their sword? Well, to really get your sword, you got to spend time with it. <laughs> you can't just text it at 9 o'clock and say, hey, babe, want to go out? Oh man, that's good. This is the the in the silence you come to me in this in the secret place. This is all. That's all. I mean, it could be. Maybe it's maybe it's not. Uh, boyfriend girlfriend songs. Maybe we've been thinking about the praise song all wrong. Maybe all the praise songs, in fact, are written by ninjas. We're gonna have to test that hypothesis. All right. Next time next, we do the cruncher. Next time we do some crunching. Yeah, no, that's good. All right. Well, let's get to a real email. Um, by uh, Alex in Atlanta. And what's Alex's uh, nickname again? I forgot. That was that one. Ivica Jelikic. That's right, Ivica. Thanks for Jel- writing me. Ivica Jelikic. Uh, says, uh, I am an LCMS Lutheran has been, who has been researching orthodoxy. As Lutherans, we believe the scripture is true and find our faith rooted in the words of Christ. My question is, when we read Christ's establishment of a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against, should we hear that as a promise that physical laying on of hands type of apostolic succession will not be broken? How do we deal with this in our tradition? If the Orthodox can claim this and also have 
never apostatized with regard to the ecumenical councils, uh, in parentheses, like the Catholics, uh, why shouldn't I seek membership or at least some reconciliation with the Orthodox? Okay, so now we're, we're asking the question about the establishment of the church and the laying on of hands. What do you think? So two, so two things in the email. The first is the, uh, the, the church is apostolic. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. Paul says the church is built on the, uh, uh, on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, the cornerstone being Christ. But what does it mean to be apostolic? The, the Orthodox and the Catholic, and even in some ways the Anglicans, claim apostolicity via the continuity of laying on of hands, which is not in the Scripture. I mean, Paul talks about setting people apart by the laying on of hands, but the idea that there is a continuity that's that's somehow transferred um, is uh, is wrong. Uh, because the 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 apostolicity of the church is not in this in the ceremony, but rather in the teaching. So so we meet uh, so we meet the church in Acts chapter two, uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, and that is the key. So that to be built on the foundation of the apostles is to maintain the apostolic doctrine, and this is the Lutheran claim. You know, the, the Lutherans at the beginning would have liked to have the laying on of hands, but the Catholic Church refused it because of their. Um, because of the theological disputes. And so what do they do? They say, look, they, they cannot steal pastors from the church, so we have our own, even apart from apostolic succession, because we have the, we have the Scripture. We have, this, we have the succession of the apostles by the teaching. Now, then the question is to say... Actually, uh, before you go yes. on to the, the, the distinction, is we need to take a break. And then, oh. after that, we'll continue your thought on uh, the laying on of hands in Eastern Orthodoxy. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio. Not even our listeners can cancel us. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. And I stand before you now as though I've never sinned. But today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far? Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Today we're talking about some emails from Alex, otherwise known as uh, Renato Cozina. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Is that? I think his name changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he was Ivica Jelaki. Oh, That's right. That's right. <laughs> In any case, asking a question about if. Um, if if Christ promises in the establishing of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and that there be a physical thing of laying on of hands like a apostolic succession, um, does that mean that this laying on of hands is some in some way necessary? And you you had a second thought on on what you were saying so far. Yeah, well, and that uh, to that back to that text actually before the second thought is this extenuation of the first one, and that is that when Jesus is establishing his church, he's establishing it on the confession of Saint Peter. Right. So Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God," and Jesus says, "On this rock, I will build my church." So that the the confession of the apostles. Now it's it, it is the confession of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles. We don't want to undermine that. It's not some abstract teaching. Jesus hands that teaching over to his apostles. So we want to rejoice in that, but it's the teaching, not their, not their hands, that establish the church. So, so their you, words. It's always the word. You used to talk about the heresy two-step, and the heresy two-step is that you, um, uh, you, you what? Uh, what's the first step of the heresy two-step? Taking a theological you, premise or taking no, a you, scripture? You, you take the text and then you you take a, a step back into abstraction. Right. So, and then the second step is you wiggle around. Do whatever you want. Okay. With the text. Once you've made it an abstraction. Now, is 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 that the? I don't know if it's an abstraction, but but you have you have the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and then the then the move away from the scripture at least is that that has less to do about the teaching therein and more about the the laying on of hands. Right. That's right. That's the move. It's it's a weird sort of thing that all these churches with apostolic succession do. I mean, it's. 
Because they'll point to all the promises, for example, that the Lord Jesus gives to Peter or to the apostles. And then they say, well, that that those promises continue to be active today in a particular office. But you say, well, how did that happen? I mean, how did where did Jesus say that there always will be a Peter, that there will always be a pope that that never that never happens, that that, that those words are never spoken. So you have this gap that's filled in by the apostolic succession in trying to connect the ministerium today to the apostles, to the apostolic office of then. Now, we rejoice that the apostles, that, and this is one of the doctrines of Sola Scriptura, that we rejoice that in the scriptures we have the apostles and the prophets with us still. And all of those who were called into the office are now called into the office of teaching what they taught, not of saying something new. So that there is no new doctrine. That's one of the it's one of the marks of the ministerium today is we don't bring anything new. Uh, now the second question, though, is, is this question that the the Orthodox have never apostatized. The Orthodox have rejected the biblical doctrine of the gospel, and this is probably most clearly seen in the conversation with the Lutheran fathers, especially Melanchthon and the Orthodox. They were interested in in conversation, but they couldn't get on the same page. And uh, the Orthodox could not, for example, agree with the Augsburg Confession. So if you brought the Augsburg Confession to a room full of Orthodox and say, hey, this is the doctrine of the Bible, do you believe it? They would say, no, we don't. And that is where they have left the foundation of the apostles. So what's interesting about that is that now now we're just dealing with teaching now. We, now so we can lay aside you know, the whole thing of, uh, of laying on hands, who's, who, what bishops have touched whom. <laughs> but we can say, okay, what is the teaching of this church? And, uh, and the Orthodox are saying, look, this whole thing about justification through faith alone can't go there. Don't agree with it. And so that, I mean, you, you say all the time that when you say it's a scripture plus something, then the scripture doesn't matter. It's just the, the something. Um, and that's really what we're having here. We would want to say, look, what really matters is what is the teaching of this church body? What do they say about the Bible? And then we'll let it let the scriptures themselves judge that confession. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, uh, let's see. That covers that. Now we need to go to Luther Tot. What? This is from <laughs> Rebecca, <laughs> also known as as. Uh, Zvradko Todorovic. Uh-huh. Z-D-R-A-V-K-O. How do you think you say that word? Zdravko. Zdravko. I'm going to go with Zdravko. Rebecca, please write in and tell us how to pronounce your nickname. Okay, dear Table Talk Radio host, did you know that Luther taught that we don't need the church for salvation? All we need is the Bible. Oh, and he was all for unmediated worship. Luther and Calvin also taught pretty much the same thing about predestination. She says, I can't wait to hear your reaction to this video. It's the introduction to the Protestant Reformation, Varieties of Protestantism. And this is put out by um, uh, Smith History, Art, History, and Conversation. So I think this is supposed to be kind of a combo of Smithsonian and history, Smith History. Do you, do you, Smart do you, this is, so this is going to happen a lot now. This is good for us to talk about because this year happens to be the 500th anniversary of the posting of the 95 Theses, which really in the big scheme of things is not that big a deal. The 95 <laughs> Theses just, they're not that great. You're ruining the 500th At, we, anniversary you know, of the Reformation a, for me. <laughs> that's what they called the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The Reformation was like two years off. In 1519 maybe, Luther kind of gets on to the distinction between law and gospel. What we should be celebrating is the 500th anniversary of the Augsburg Confession, which we will when we get there. But anyway, everyone's all worked up about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And, well, I shouldn't poo-poo it too much because we got a bunch of people coming on a trip to go and <laughs> hold our breath and jump into this yeah the you, sea of humanity which is com- going to be <laughs> I, you weren't complaining about the 500th mark when you were selling trip tickets <laughs> or books by the way or books you know this is why we're we're putting out this everyone's luther because it is true that the whole world is for some reason going to be interested. Oh, oh, I recognize that sound. You know what that is? That means it's time for the yes. new game, What Does the Bible Say About Baptism? 
I know today's answer to the question, what does the Bible say about baptism, is brought to you by Jesus, who says in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. All right, that's the Now, deal. everyone's all has their attention on the Reformation, the 500th anniversary, which I think we should now. So, oh, so everyone's going to be talking about it. We, the Flammy, had an article in the Economist about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Are you kidding? You know that? How does no. he get in the every, Economist? Every, so, no, he didn't write an essay. He was reading an essay. Oh, I thought I thought you said that he wrote for. <laughs> no, he had it. In other oh, words, he had it in his hand. Okay, go ahead. And it was talking about what Luther. It's just it's so it's so everyone is interested in it, but everybody is so fantastically wrong. They're so, so that, I mean, it's fake news. All this stuff. I mean, the what people say about and it's, it shouldn't be fake news because it's five hundred years old, and it's not like it's hard to go find what Luther said. In fact, if you go to everyone's Luther, you can order the large catechism for five bucks and see just see what the guy said. It's a hundred billion times better than listening to what everyone else thinks was happening in the Reformation. So, so we're going to hear a video, and this is going to be the first of about seventeen billion YouTube videos <laughs> from people talking about what Luther said. And yes. we, the listeners and hosts of Table Talk Radio, need to be ready to take on the fake news and actually talk about the refer- the real Reformation. So, there, here we go. I was told by. Uh uh, someone who worked in the seminary library, um, that uh, the the most requested book um, of Luther in the interlibrary loan thing, you know, where libraries can share books with one another. Oh, can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Can we play a game? Yeah. Guess what the most requested book is? Uh-huh. On the Jews and Their Lies. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that when people when people do seek out the actual words of Luther, they're only going to what he said about the Jews. At, like, yeah, Luther, the proto Nazi. Yeah. <sighs> so in any case, My uh, here's the introduction to the Protestant Reformation: Varieties of Protestantism from Con uh, Con Academy K A K H A N not. Not Khan is in a con man, but Khan Academy. Like Khan is in So to Genghis. recap from the last video, Luther refused to renounce his teachings at the Diet of Worms and was kidnapped as he left the Diet of Worms by the Elector of Saxony and secreted away in a castle where he translated the New Testament into German. This is an enormous true. undertaking, which he completes in a matter of months. We're going to go see and the castle. And it's important to Luther because... It- is it true that he uh, completed it in a matter of months? Yeah, I think so. Wow, that's like that's that's impressive. It means that everyone yeah. can read the Bible for themselves. Luther's main ideas are scripture alone and the priesthood of all believers. So you don't need to go to the church that's incredible. to understand the word of that's... God to understand the path to salvation. All you need to do is to read the Bible. Scripture alone. Oh so my goodness. The... Now that's amazing. You got to so, so the two main ideas of Luther are scripture alone and the priesthood of all believers. Isn't it amazing how there's all those other solos, but the one <laughs> that we're going to focus on is Scripture alone, and then the priesthood of all believers. Like if like if there's more than one sola, you're going to pull one out and then say that the main teaching was that and something else. That just doesn't right make sense. I, if you want to know what Luther actually said about the church, you can find that in the large catechism. <laughs> In the third article where he's talking about the church, and he calls the church the mother that begets us all. And Luther said of the Catholic Church, they are not the church. In other words, his his um, his argument was not that we don't need the church because we're all priests on our own. His argument was, no, the Catholic Church, which claims to be the church, is not, in fact not the church because they don't have the truth of the Lord's word. But he would have never have said that somehow the priesthood of all believers sets you free from being part of a church. And, or, or get you out from the authority of the church. This is a big, huge misconception of Luther, that he was all about freedom as opposed to authority. No, he, he, he was he, the, the task of the writing of the large catechism was to bring people back into a right understanding of authority rather than this than the than the confusion of the order of the world, which was foisted upon the, the world by the Catholic Church. 
And and Luther hardly ever talks about the priesthood of all believers. I mean, it's not a topic of his. His he loves to talk about vocation, and how we have uh, the service of God even in secular vocations in in our lives. But this idea of the priesthood of all believers, whatever people mean by it, which I'm pretty sure is not what Saint Peter means by it, is uh, is not. Um, it's certainly not the central foundational point of Luther's theology. And, and what about this? If you're wondering like what Luther's two main teachings are, what the person said, his two main teachings are Scripture alone and, and the uh, what was the other one? The, the every person a minister or the priest of all believers. It's not like Luther never said, hey, this is the center of my theology. Like, Why are you making it up? Why didn't you see what Luther thought the center of his theology was, which happens to be the doctrine of justification? That the atonement is delivered to the to sinners through the preaching of the gospel. I mean, that's that's the central foundational doctrine of Luther, which he tells you over and over, and it's all he ever writes about. Oh man! Anyway, let's craft Luther after our own image, so that we can make him say what we want him to say. We better continue. Uh, well, before I was going to say, that I think that the two times I talk about the priesthood of all believers in my adult instruction class. I mean, so so that the priest, you know, has this job of of going in the presence of God in the holy of holies in the temple, right? So Yom Kippur, and he he alone has access, and then he comes out and makes a, a declaration to the people, and the, and the two places I talk about this is uh, uh, prayer and um and uh, and and proclamation, so that uh, uh so that. Christians now have access to God through Christ. And so um, this is teaching us an intercessory prayer that uh, if uh, the, the Muslim has things that, uh, that, that weigh on, on his life and he has no access to God because he does not have faith in Christ. So as a Christian who has access to God, uh, I can pray on his behalf before the Father and then um, uh, bring bring these concerns to him on his behalf. Does that make, does that make sense? Um, so, so, so as the priest has access before the father, so the Christian has access before the father uh, through Jesus. And now also coming out and then proclaiming the excellencies of him um, and, and uh, that he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that just as the priest came out and made proclamation, the uh, uh, atonement has been made, your sins have been coming over. So the, the Christian can say to the unbeliever, uh, those, those who don't have access, hey, atonement's been made for you. Christ has died for your sins. Forgiveness is yours. But that doesn't somehow replace or uh, uh, supplant the church and the work that God does in word and sacrament. I mean, those are just two different categories. So, actually, we better right. we better take a quick break, and then when we get back, we'll continue more of this video in an introduction to the Protestant Reformation. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we will be right Best show ever. Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Martin Luther, in 1517, held a hammer. Before popes and kings and queens, he hit the nail on the head. When the disputation was read, giving birth to a conversation, but the word quickly spread, and all the people said, that this is going to be a reformation. And we're back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We're listening to uh, a video from Wasn't expecting that. Khan Academy about the Reformation. You know what I did the other day? Because I'm... I made a list of the books I want to know more about, and included in that is the Flammy's favorite, uh, Thomas Aquinas, you know. So I went out to the Teaching Academy, or the Teaching, the the, the Great Courses, the Teaching Company or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, And I was looking for a class to get on CDs for Thomas Aquinas, and I but it pulled up all the Bible classes. You know who teaches all the New Testament classes and stuff like that? Bart Ehrman. I know. I saw that, it's too. It's incredible. It's just, ah, it's these, so you get the pa- these, these pagans. I want to I want to learn about the Bible from somebody that believes it. 
just like I'd like to learn about the Quran from somebody who believes the Quran, and I'd like to learn about Thomas Aquinas from someone that believes Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's funny. Not, that, I don't want to learn from it from someone who hates it. I, it's funny that you brought that up because I was just recently looking at those myself, and I was looking at oh, the, there's one on the Reformation. Maybe I'll learn some things that I didn't already know about the Reformation. And I was looking at some of the reviews, and one of the reviewers said, this is a great class if you want a Roman Catholic perspective on the Reformation. <laughs> Which, again, to your point, you yeah. know, you seem like you want to have maybe someone who has followed the teachings of Luther to teach the you know, class on the Reformation, but... Anyway. The Khan Academy started teaching math, which I think is probably hard to be too ideological about. But once you start branching into history, and it's what's really interesting is, uh, I, like, I looked at the kids' history books and I read the section on the Reformation. I said, "You've got to be kidding me! It's so absurd." And then I think, well, what, what else is absurd about this that I just don't know enough to know it's absurd? The French Revolution, man, it's tough. So well, we got the Khan Academy talking about the Reformation, which is probably. Not, I mean, that's probably kind of serves us right for listening to the thing. And we need to make a better, we need to do the Table Talk Radio 17-part course on the history of the reference. Oh, it's, it's been done already. You know where you could go for this is our friends over at Issues Etc. Issues Etc. And they've been interviewing Tom Baker on the history of Luther, and he's on like part no, 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 27. No no, 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 no. Ken Sherb. Oh, yeah, Ken Sherb. Ken Sherb on the history of Martin Luther, and that's pretty good. That's that's where you should go for this. I mean, if you it's want like it. it's now time for part seven hundred and thirty-two of the Reformation. <laughs> yeah, today is part seventeen on Luther's take on the Sermon on the Mount. What? Part three on Luther's baptism when he was one day old. That's like Ketchemeyer, man. The Gospel according to Isaiah. Part 753. Today we're going to look at the first syllable of this word. Man. <laughs> I thought that it would be great if uh, one of our seminaries could do something similar to what the great courses are doing and make uh, certain classes available through online video or whatever. Um, and I don't mean here the uh, the uh, uh, SMP. I mean, you know, for like continuing education or for interested lay people that you can just yes. go and buy a buy it buy a class um and to be well made you know the, the great courses they're well produced they're good they're good quality and if uh, one of the seminaries could take uh, that up that would be great just trademark idea from table talk radio i'm yeah that's right i'm listening to the great course on bach and it's really nice because it can say okay this is what a fugue is and now listen to this melody and so you can hear it you know and you can kind of take it apart and i think man i need someone to do that for me with Calvin's Institutes, which I, is a book I think I need to be able to know, and uh, the the Summa, and probably also some Augustine stuff, Nature and Grace and uh, Spirit and Letter, which is just have someone to walk me through those things and illuminate them so I could say I've read the thing. Anyway, alas. But we should do it. We should make that available for people. Reading Luther with Table Talk Radio. That'll be our next podcast. <laughs> we'll start recording. Hit record. Let's start. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's Maybe let's we'll continue this, this Khan, Khan Academy. Here it is. The Bible in the hands okay. of everyone. This other idea of the priesthood of all believers is this notion that we can have a direct relationship with God that's unmediated by the priest. By oh, the unmediated, bishop, yeah. The... Uh, that's what Luther loved to talk about, the unmediated <laughs> relationship we have with God. That's what our friend Luther, the mystic Mahamushti, Luther loved to talk about. <laughs> oh my good heavens! Uh -huh. Pope, Luther it's just the us and our Creator. So we've come across three major ideas then from Luther: faith alone, Scripture alone, and the priesthood of all believers. Now these ideas that we can look directly at. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we look directly at God. Oh my goodness! Luther said the word. He said, "Now it's true." That you don't need the priest in, uh, to get mediated access to God. But, but, but the, see, the reason Luther said that was not because of the idea that there was a mediation between God and man, but because the, the thing that the priests were mediating was indulgences, was the treasury of merit. 
it wasn't the idea of mediation that was the problem. Mm-hmm. It was the thing being mediated. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Luther says the Lord comes to us not internally but externally in the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. And that's the, the pastor is the, is the man who brings the, the Word to the people. This is, this is a mediated uh, uh, a message. It's a, it's a mediated God. God is always mediated to us. This guy is making Luther sound more like the Anabaptists. <laughs> well. At the scriptures, so. that we can have that kind of direct relationship with God means that lots of people can come up with slightly varying understandings of what that relationship is. Right, as soon as... Oh, God... yeah. This is it. This is how the Catholic Church says, you Lutherans are the reason why there's so many different doctrines. As if, as if the Catholics all believe the same thing. <laughs> I mean, as if you could line up, if you could find two Catholics that believe the same thing about anything, probably heaven would open up and Jesus would come back. <laughs> the, the idea that there's all this kind of diversity in all of these different churches and congregations and denominations that it's the part of luther that he wrecked the church's authority and now everyone becomes their own authority is just absolutely first of all it's wrong and second of all it's slander and third of all it's stupid because because there's more diversity in the catholic church than in the protestant church to begin with i mean you could find the higher critic catholics you find the you have the charismatic catholics you have the catholics that believe the bible the catholics that don't you've got the social justice catholics you've got the catholics i mean even in the middle ages there was big fights about the doctrine of justification you know when the catholic church finally agreed on the doctrine of salvation is in the Council of Trent after Luther died when the thing that they agreed on is whatever Luther said is wrong. I mean, that's the only thing they actually agree on is Luther being wrong. They can't agree on what's right. You go try, try this as an experiment. Go talk to a Catholic priest and say, what do you mean by the word sacrifice? Oh, uh, they'll say that's a very uh, complex uh, the- theological uh, thing that we continue to understand. Like, do you mean what they meant in the Council of Trent when they said that the Eucharist is a propitiatory sacrifice and anyone that doesn't believe that is damned to hell? Oh, well, we, you know, we've clarified our theology in Vatican II and we understand it. So you're, what you're telling me is you don't know. What do you mean by the word sacrifice? Just that, that, like, the central theological word of the Roman Catholic Church is sacrifice. I mean, that's why they talk about the priesthood, because priests offer sacrifice. Now, I think you're wrong. I think Catholics, they don't, Catholics all over the oh. world agree on something. They all agree on the Pope. <laughs> that's it. That's the only thing. That's the only thing they agree on. The Pope is the Pope. You know, they don't even have to like him. They just have to let him be the pope. And that now becomes the gra- becomes the grand confession of unity in the church. We it's like the Catholic Church could get together and say uh, cre- their creed. I believe or we let's do we. We believe that the pope is the pope. Amen. <laughs> Look at how unified we are. That's not unity. There's there's there so I would say that I would suggest this that even in the in the diversity of theological opinions that is so-called protestantism which also isn't really a thing and is not luther's fault i mean luther was just as angry at the protestants as he was at the catholics he spent half his time fighting all the foolish but even to take it and pretend like we're protestant and pretend like that's catholic versus protestant that's the whole thing you look at the diversity of teaching in the protestants and it's not even as bad as the diversity of teaching in catholicism the idea that the church is splintered because of Luther is an absurd, absurd argument. Well, particularly because Luther had um, the interest of returning to the Word of God, and so where where these fractions were um, now teaching contrary to the Word of God, we would go back to Luther and say, "What did he say again? Oh, yeah, to the Word of God, not to you know our abstractions of the Word of God or." are peering into the mysteries of God, but what God's word actually said. Yeah, right. And can you imagine Luther looking at all these diversity of opinions of theology, like one person believes baptism saves, another person believes it doesn't save, and Luther says, oh, well, that's what you get when you have the priesthood of all believers. Everyone's got their own opinion. (laughs) 
That's what I was after. I want to set people free to believe whatever they want. It's just as long you as we have probably a... <laughs> read a page of Luther sometime in your life. As long as we have this unmediated relationship with God, I'm happy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I stand here. I stand. I could do no other. I feel the relationship with. Oh my goodness! <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break for Pastor Wolfman to calm down, and then we're going to have a little bit of time, to, maybe, to listen to a little bit more of this video. You're listening to Table Talk Ready. We want to hear from you. Give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. We want to hear your thoughts on our show. We want to hear your bumper stickers and church signs, and we also want to hear your praise song cruncher request, uh, 1-800-385-SOLA, or you can send us an email questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. The disaster continues. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God throughout the world. Table Talk Radio is listener-supported. If you would like to help with the financial needs of Table Talk Radio, just click the Donate button on our website, tabletalkradio.org. You know, well, I'm a chicken fried, a cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right. And the radio world. You're rounding third, almost home. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are listening to a introduction video on the Protestant Reformation produced by Khan Academy. And uh, so far, Pastor Wolfmuller is flunking. <laughs> That's right. Can you imagine me uh, enrolling in the Luther history? Huh. You'd be obnoxious. Obnoxious like Luther. <laughs> All right, let's listen to more of this. One of the pillars of Luther's theology is his obnoxicity. Obnoxicity? Well, you're close. I don't know if you're there, but you're close. Mediated by the church, as soon as everyone can read it for themselves, it becomes clear just how ambiguous much of what's in the New Testament. Wait, the Old did she just say <laughs> it becomes clear at just how ambiguous? <laughs> the the, the am ambiguity is very clear. <laughs> we're, we're clear on one thing, and that's the lack of clarity. Never mind <laughs> that the argument was from the Catholic Church. That you can't publish the scripture because it's unclear. And Luther says, no, you can publish it because it's clear. The clarity of the scripture is one of the hallmarks of the. And they start with everything. Is the, the Psalm 119, the, the, your word is a lamp to my feet. And Luther says, look, what is a lamp if it's dim? The scriptures are shine. They're radiant. They're, they're clear. They make sense. They're, uh, you can know what it says. That's the basis of his, of his publishing of, of the scripture. And that is. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I mean, it's almost like Catholic propaganda, but it's, it's like it's so ignorant you don't even realize that you're doing it. <laughs> the, the, you publish the Bible in the language and it becomes clear that it's not so clear. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Testament really is, and, and how differently it can be interpreted by different people. And that's why we have so many different Protestant sects. Immediately, <laughs> it's like, this is like, reminds me of the parent saying, and that's how you have a little baby brother. <laughs> <laughs> what? The stork? That doesn't make sense. Luther published the Bible, and that's why we have so many errorists. Oh. <laughs> we wouldn't have so many false teachings if we didn't have the Bible. You know, you know what? Our buddy Ketchemeyer, who keeps coming up, he's pretty good on this. He says every false doctrine goes back to a vision. And he points out that, that uh, one of the big things that Zwingli claimed is to have a vision from God 
about the Lord's Supper. So that it's so that it's not the scriptures. Hmm. It's scripture reinterpreted through something else that leads you away from the scripture. Uh, and, and but this is a thing that's really missed. It's like so the picture that people want us to say is nobody knew what was in the Bible. So we're just a kind of bunch of clods that just have to trust the church, which is a wrong picture to start with. And then Luther publishes the the Bible and everybody has it like everybody had it, which is all, a little bit of a stretch. I mean, the, at least the, the point is the people had it in their own language. It yeah. wasn't in Latin. Like, so they, they all could, had their own pocket Bible. Yeah, it's not like Luther invented the Gideons. Luther put it into German <laughs> so that people who didn't know Latin could hear the the Scripture speak in their own language. But that doesn't mean they were like took it out on picnics to read with them. They were still hearing it in the church. Anyway, and then now everyone's reading the Bible, and they're like, oh, oh, that's what it says. And then they come up with their own little cult over here and own little cult over there. As if it's just like the the Bible is so fantastically unclear that you can have no idea what the truth of it is. Just really... I'm offended. I'm I'm oh I sorry. I'm triggered. You know that? No. Trigger. No one gave me the trigger warning for the Khan Academy. No. You don't know the trigger warning? That's a social justice warrior thing? Nope. That's a new one on me. That must be a what? thing on Facebook or something. I don't know. No, no, it's a thing in that you have to have the safe space because or yeah, and you so you have to have trigger warnings before you say things in like if you go to college these days and the professor is going to quote a white guy, he has to give you a trigger warning because you might be set off by oh. hearing the uh, the voice of a of a white guy and speaking from his um, what do the white guys have? Their uh, the white privilege. You're going to hear white pri- and that could upset people. In fact, they could have convulsions. Is this a real thing? This is new yeah, to me. So you, how could that possibly be new to you? Oh, anyway, more from so the Khan Academy. Joke. Birds spread very quickly. If we go to Zurich, to Switzerland, we find Zwingli. Like Luther, he looks at Scripture as the sole authority. Not the church, but Scripture. Now, he differed from Luther in one important regard, the Eucharist. Now, Luther had already broken with the Catholic Church's understanding of the Eucharist, that there was transubstantiation. That is, that the bread and the wine was, by miracle, transformed into the actual flesh and the actual blood of Christ. Luther believed that the blood of Christ and the flesh of Christ was present in the bread and the wine, but not that the priest had this kind of special power that allowed for the transformation itself. And then Zwingli changes that interpretation and says that the Eucharist is entirely symbolic and that there is no actual blood and no actual Okay, so um, well, yeah, that's okay. Well, it's fine, and I suppose that's the right thing to be talking about when you're comparing Luther and Zwingli. Um, however, I don't know how much time Luther actually spent debating transubstantiation, as much as he was appalled by the sacrifice of the mass. Yes, right. You're right about that. The tr- for Luther, the transubstantiation was not a big deal. Uh, they basically said, look, we don't need Aristotle to understand the Jesus. That was their basic argument against transubstantiation, but they didn't fuss about it. It is, They just said is means is. Uh, it is wrong, though. Interesting to say that Luther's translation of the Bible is what caused all this because Zwingli didn't read German, did he? He was still working mm. from whatever he spoke. Mm. Maybe he did. I don't know. But it wasn't Luther's translation of the Bible that he got this stuff. It was from his own kooky visions that he got his bad doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Interesting. All right. One here's... thing is not the cause of the other. In fact, in fact, when was the Marburg Colloquy? I should know that. Here, I, I'm going to just – I think the Marburg Colloquy, the debate with Zwingli, was before the translation of the German New Testament. I'll do the work here. All right. Go you on. do the work, and I'll do the play button actual flesh present in the church. Right, and actually Luther and Zwingli got together to debate this issue to try to create 15, a more unified Protestant yeah. church, but they were unable to agree. So you can see so you're right. five very years after serious the doctrinal disputes that are going on during this time. Everything is being questioned. Well, in oh. Zurich, at the same time... Did you have a... Everything is being questioned. This tr- is just a Trigger bit. warning. Trigger yeah, warning. Yeah, that's right. I'm triggered about that. <laughs> Everything's being questioned. This is the problem that Luther has is not that 
Do you see that it's not like, oh, yeah, there's this old religion and now we just it, it, we can't question it. That's not the problem. The problem. I mean, Luther's problem was that the Catholic Church questioned too much of the teaching of the scripture. <laughs> it wasn't Luther wasn't trying to. Pro- he was not a progressive. He was he was a regressive. He was not trying to develop doctrine. He was trying to undevelop doctrine. Mm-hmm. Go back to what the scriptures were teaching. Uh, uh. Yeah. And also, we have another group, the Anabaptists, and they're fascinating because they take issue with the practice of baptism close to birth. That is, an infant is brought and baptized. They look back to the belief that Christ was baptized as an adult. That is, he was baptized of his own free will, and they were called the Anabaptists by people who didn't like them because they. Hold on. Wait, time out. So. They go back to the belief that Jesus was baptized as an adult, as if anyone's drawing that into question. I think yeah. Jesus was baptized as an infant, don't you? No. Uh, and that he was baptized according to his will. Okay, I guess. But Jesus also said that uh, that I and the Father are one. I mean, it's it's right. not as if uh, Jesus woke up in the morning and you know, I think I'm finally ready to make a decision for me. You know, I mean, it's just... <laughs> This idea and it's, of and it's, baptism as the act of the will. We don't act to wait till we're thirty three to be or thirty to be baptized. Yeah, yeah it, right? but it, it. I mean, there is a thing here: is that the Anabaptists are always and still remain confused about the descriptive and prescriptive distinction of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So you see the description of Jesus baptized as an adult, and you say, "Well, that's what we should do then." So they are confused about that. So I, I think I'll, I'll and and there might have been the argument. That Jesus was baptized by an adult. But you are right to point out that that would have been an accidental argument for the Anabaptists. I mean, their real argument was that uh, baptism is an outward act, Mm -hmm. a confession of faith. And it has to do really with our understanding of faith and repentance more than it has to do with our understanding of the baptism of Jesus. All right. So we're actually going to be running out of time here in about 30 seconds. So. You have to give this video a grade. What grade would you give the Khan Academy's introduction to the Protestant Reformation? What are my options? Can I, I can give them an F, right? You D can. minus? I want to give them a D minus because they managed to say something right about Zwingli. It's amazing they got Zwingli more right than they got Luther. Well, it's not that. I mean, of, of the things Zwingli is known for, I guess. I mean, it's hard to screw that up, but okay. All right, D minus is the grade. I mean, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where we are against Jubilee Theonomy. Oh, and also against super irrigation. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk that was Radio. Table Talk for, Radio uh, is not for recording everyone. this show. Please consult your pastor before <laughs> listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, and aversion to injury, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the cabalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.